Happy third anniversary to the Abraham Accords, August 13th. That's when Israel and Dubai became just a flight away. And to celebrate, I took my kids there for a little R&R in the heat. <laughs> and from Dubai to Miami Beach, Florida, Michael Newman is doing terrific things for terrific kids together with Ellie Casper. These guys are ninja warriors using their muscles and their determination to change kids' lives. This is the Weekly Squeeze, episode 131. I am your talented and lovely host, Hanala Music, coming at you from the swamps of Israel. That's what it felt like yesterday morning and this morning when I went walking with my dog at 6 o'clock in the morning. A soup, a thick and moist embrace that greets you when you walk out the door and join the many people getting up early in the land of Israel to go to work, to go to Minyan, to exercise, to clean the parks, and to prepare Eretz Israel for another beautiful, hot, vibrant, exciting, sometimes chaotic, but always wonderful day here in the Holy Land. I actually spent a little time out of the country last week, and uh, yeah, it gave me some food for thought, especially considering where I went but more on Dubai soon. First, let's discuss what's going on in America. There were some terrible fires out in Maui. I spent almost a year in Hawaii, once upon a time. And although I never actually went to Maui, I know that uh, my friends, the Schustermans, are there. I shlochem. And from what I'm seeing, this has been really one of the worst natural disasters, if you'll call it that, because they don't actually know the source. Um, yeah, disasters that we've seen in America in a very, very long time. And uh, my heart goes out to all the people suffering and coping with their losses. Record heat, record drought, erratic wind, challenging terrain, steep slopes, dropping humidity, all those things making it very difficult to put out these fires. However, however, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, Apparently, a lot of celebrity homes were spared from the devastation. And that is now getting people talking that, strangely enough, a lot of their homes were not damaged at all. Like the fire kind of skipped over them. Let's see. Oprah Winfrey, Jeff Bezos, Steven Tyler, Owen Wilson, Woody Harrelson, Jim Carrey. They all have massive mansions out in Maui, I'm talking about $20, $30 million homes. And apparently, a lot of these celebrities, or most of these celebrities, have been suspiciously silent. No statements, no donations to the relief funds for these families and people devastated by the fires. And people are just wondering, like, how on earth was it? Maybe they just have better irrigation. It could be that they have more watered lawns. I don't know. I'm just saying it seems that the mansions were spared, but unfortunately... Many, many people are suffering. So let's say a prayer for our brothers and sisters in humanity dealing with this difficult blow from above. All right. Peace in Saudi Arabia. That is word on the street. My husband told me, did you hear they're making peace in Saudi Arabia? And I'm like, the place where they hang people and women are not allowed to drive? <laughs> That's where Israel's going to have peace. Like, how does that even work? I don't want to go there. Like, even if I was allowed to go there, <laughs> they gave me free tickets. Like, why the heck would we? I mean, it's not about us going there. It's about there being peace. It's about the airways. It's about a lot of stuff that is way above my pay grade to understand. But ultimately, peace is good. And the fact that we were able to go to Dubai and have a positive experience as Jews, openly, 
yarmulkes. It's just worn proudly out the entire time. And we were treated beautifully and respectfully. And that was pretty cool, especially coming from a country where the Arabs hate the Jews and want to literally kill them any way possible. But before we get to all that, because I'm about to talk about Dubai in a way you've never heard spoken about Dubai, because I'm not in Dubai anymore and I can say whatever I want (laughs) without the sheik hearing me. Um, Before we get to all that, what the heck is going on in America? Apparently America has become the wild, wild west. I mean, do we even need Black Friday or sales in our malls anymore? From what I understand, everything is either locked up these days or available to be taken for free by whoever feels entitled to it. I'm thinking, uh, like, what would happen here if people just walked into a store and started taking things off the shelf? People would be like, Sikha? Like, maza? Like, mieta? Lokech bechinam? Ma? Ma? Ani lo You're taking something for free? What? I don't work? It just wouldn't, it wouldn't fly. But to see it happening in America, I gotta say, as a true blue American, it's highly disturbing to see. So, yeah. Megalia. By the way, a lot of people messaged me that the episode with Avi from the Pulse of Israel, episode 130, really inspired them to want to make Aliyah. And I got to say, I totally get that because when I used to listen to Avi Fold on the Times of Israel, I was inspired to make Aliyah. I felt his passion and his zeal and his heartache every time there was a terrorist attack. And I thought, I want to feel that. I need to feel that. I should feel that. And that's really what got me on the way to making Aliyah. So if you were you know, inspired and something was lit inside of you, don't ignore that. Obviously, said you can reach out to him and he'll be more than happy to help you do that, to make that process, take that step and get you yourself and all of your stuff to Israel. If I did it, you could do it too. And I didn't label the boxes and everybody survived. <laughs> Except my husband who almost had a heart attack. All right, enough about that. Let's go back to what's going on in the world. So I saw a video clip go viral a few weeks ago from a woman named Tiffany Gomez that apparently was having a meltdown on an airplane. Like, she completely lost it on a flight. I couldn't even watch it. I couldn't hear what she was saying. It doesn't matter. There's so many Mishigayim losing their minds on the internet. I'm not going to sit and watch what they have to say. But I do remember that clip and how much attention it got because it, it was just completely inappropriate, insane, unhinged behavior. Uh, Whether she was intoxicated, which she wasn't, whatever was going on, whatever triggered her, that's not the way you behave in public. Anyways, this video goes viral and completely takes over this woman's life because everybody on the planet sees it and labels her a psycho for acting that way. And she gets completely condemned and socially canceled and called all kinds of things and turned into a meme. I mean, this woman's reputation was completely destroyed. And this week she released another video clip where she speaks to the camera and she shares how difficult it was for her to have this clip go viral. And that gave me some real food for thought for two reasons. First of all, because a few episodes ago, I mentioned a high-profile divorce case going on here in the land of Israel. Now, if you're not aware of what's going on here in the land of Israel, well, you probably don't live here because Israelis, unfortunately, secular Israelis, love to gossip about each other, especially when there's juice about Haritim. And unfortunately, you know, considering some of the stories we've heard over the last few years, there have been some very bad behaviors displayed by religious people. And here we have a case where this very public couple, Haredim, well, they're having a public divorce and the entire Israel is talking about it online and off. 
this couple went public, they shared their story, and it became fodder for a tremendous amount of gossip. I don't even know if you can go public with these things considering how much gossip it actually produces. But then again, I'm not a, a maven in the laws of Lashon Hara. But what I do know is that if something is publicly known, then essentially it's not exposing somebody's secrets when you repeat them. That said, I do know that my audience doesn't know much about this story because it's being played out here in Israel in Hebrew. And just because a person did something that they shouldn't have, and just because a person said something that they shouldn't have, and just because a person acted in a way that they shouldn't have, doesn't mean we have the right to destroy them. It does not mean that we have the right to publicly humiliate them and call them whatever we want and say about them whatever we want and humiliate them back because embarrassing someone publicly is like murder. And that's something that we need to take very seriously. Hi everyone, it's me, Tiffany Gomez, probably better known as the crazy plain lady, which is completely warranted. As you know, I have been unwilling to speak on the viral video, but I do finally feel that it's time. First and foremost, I want to take full accountability for my actions. They were completely unacceptable. Distressed or not, I should have been, I should have been in control of my emotions and that was not the case. My use of profanity was completely unnecessary. And I want to apologize to everyone on that plane, especially those that had children aboard. Can't imagine going through that and trying to explain to your kid what in the world just happened. We all have our bad moments, um, some far worse than others. And mine happened to be caught on camera for the whole world to see multiple times. Sorry, trying not to sound like Minnie Mouse. Um, well, it has been really comical for everyone um, and I have highly enjoyed so many of the memes. On the flip side, it is very invasive and unkind. And I don't know what I would do without the love and support of my friends and family. They are loyal to a fault and I don't know what I did to deserve them. Um, sorry y'all. I hope that I can use this experience and do a little bit of good in the world. And that is what I intend to do. I hope that you guys can accept my apology and I can begin to move on with my life. So I thought that was very effective and important to hear. Sometimes we see something or hear something about a person and we just go to town with it. And that's not what we should be doing. Even if somebody is publicly sharing their personal stuff deliberately, doesn't mean we have to engage, doesn't mean we have to yenta about it. It's okay to just look away. Like we get it. It's public. But still, you don't have to forward it. You don't have to share it. You don't have to identify the person. You could just look away. All right. That is what I learned from Tiffany Gomez. Is a hucham. Hello, made Mikol Adam. That said, I learned so much from my trip to Dubai. I am so excited to tell you about it. 
But first, this week's episode of The Weekly Squeeze has been brought to you by Shemin Ra'anan. Hey there, olive oil enthusiasts. Are you looking for a delicious olive oil that will take your cooking experience to new heights? Well, let me introduce you to Shemin Ra'anan olive oil, crafted from the finest olives in the heart of Israel, the very country, by the way, that first produced olives thousands of years ago. What better place to purchase your olive oil from than from Eretz Yisrael? I mean, imagine those lush groves of olive trees cultivated by discerning farmers who cherish the land and the traditions. Shemin Ranan olive oil, well, that is what you are getting in a bottle. They preserve those ancient methods. Each drop of liquid gold carries the rich history and flavors of the past. You can use it on your salads. You could sizzle your favorite dishes in Shemin Ranan or simply dip some warm, fresh pita into it. Every taste will transport you to the sun-kissed hills of Israel. Also exciting news, we are giving away an all-expense-paid trip to Israel to one lucky winner. Head over to my show notes, click on the link, and follow the instructions on Instagram. Don't miss this awesome experience to immerse yourself in the enchanting culture, breathtaking landscapes, and of course, to indulge in the authentic case of Shemin Ranan olive oil right here where it's made. Hurry, this giveaway won't last forever. Follow the link in the show notes, and who knows, you might be the lucky winner of a trip of a lifetime. All right. Now, before we get to the trip of a lifetime that I had in the United Arab Emirates, I just want to read a comment or two left underneath my podcast that I really appreciated. This one is from Kaliap. I really enjoy listening to the Weekly Squeeze. I'm off the derech. Well, is that really a thing? But still interested in what's going on in the firm world, so it keeps me updated and informed. I don't always agree with Hanala. <laughs> That's like a running theme in the feedback I get on the show. But I like hearing her take on current events. I think it would be fantastic if she would provide links to items she discusses. I do. In the Weekly Squeeze WhatsApp chat that is moderately active, depending on what's going on. But I do share links and videos and just some extra stuff. So head over to my show notes and join that. Hannah, let me go from strength to strength. Thank you. I really, really appreciated that. The next one, entertaining and informative. I run to listen to each episode as it comes out. Keep standing up for what's right and brightening our day. You're so welcome. A perfect combination of humor and seriousness. Very few can achieve. Hanala has the gift. Thank you, Fagi Felig. Hi, Ma. <laughs> um, you know, I don't think all the reviews actually show up here on my podcast app in Israel. But keep leaving them. Uh, tap on the five stars, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I really, really appreciate it. Like if you do nothing today for me and for my people <laughs> and for the Jewish people, leave me a review, rate the show, um, or head over to speakpipe.com. The link is in my show notes where you can actually leave me an audio message. Hello. I'm going to play one right now. This is from Tila. Hi, Hanala. I really like this idea. It's like having a radio talk show and you get feedback from your listeners, which is really, really cool. Looking forward to this little option and using it. Do you know how easy that was? She literally tapped on the link, pressed record, and voila. Her voice was just heard by thousands of people. So if you too want your message heard by me and by my audience, by all means, go to squeakpipe.com and share. That means if you're listening to something I'm saying and you're just like, uh-uh, sister, <laughs> leave me a voice note. Or if you just remembered something in the middle of the night that was bothering you, or if I made a mistake, or if there's just something you want to share, something important you want the Kahila to know, this is your opportunity. Just leave me a squeak pipe and I will share it here. This is from MomCam770. Good morning, 
I bought Queen Tulsi. I'm trying that. I'm trying Ozempic because of you. I bought two of my grandchildren families Tovito because of you. And I love listening to all your straight up humor and information. And you're one of the most fantastic influencers there are. And thank you for introducing me to Charlene and Ben Shapiro. And have a great day and keep up your successful work. Have a great day. First of all, I love you too. And you know that I know exactly who you are because we interact on Instagram all the time. Um, Second of all, I'm thrilled that you're using Queen Tulsi because I also am. By the way, (laughs) this is so typical me. I came to Dubai without my cosmetic bag. Okay. I left my cosmetic bag here in Israel with all the stuff that I use. So I have my clothing and nothing else. We'll get to what I did about that later. I did have Queen Tulsi in my bag because I intended to take a picture of it by the Burj Khalifa and I didn't want to forget. So I have been taking the Queen Tulsi supplement every single day now for about a month and I'm loving it. Do I know exactly what it's doing to me? No, but I haven't had a bad day yet. If you are using Queen Tulsi and you're feeling something positive, by all means, leave us a squeak pipe so we know how it's working for you. There is a link and a promo code in my show notes. Tovito's great. I'm working on getting Chaim Hirschquitz on the show. He's very shy. <laughs> yes, the guy who does the voices for the puppets of Mitzvah Boulevard is very shy. It's a little more complicated than that, but I'm going to have him on the show, and he's just such a character. I've worked with him for years. He's hysterical. That's going to be a great show for the kids. And as far as my personality goes, well, that's just free. That is just free Every Monday and Thursday, if you missed me last week, well, make sure to leave a review on the podcast so that way I will always be here. Every Monday and Thursday, except when I'm traveling the world with my kids. All right, it is time to talk about one of the biggest, most exciting, most monumental concerts of the year that is happening in Madison Square Garden, September 3rd, 8 p.m., Ishai Rebo, the El Tufshin Pei Gimel concert. I'm obsessed. I would love to be there, especially now that I heard that Akiva and Amir Dadon are going to be there too. Let me just play you clips from all three of these guys just to refresh your memory. Because when we moved to Israel, I did not know who Isha Reba was. And then I became obsessed and I learned every single song. And let me tell you something, folks. Those are not easy songs to learn. And then I discovered Amir Dadon and then I discovered Akiva and I just love Israeli music. So here's some stuff from these three guys. If you manage to secure a ticket, I want to hear about it. This is Ishai Rebo, his first major hit single. 50 million views on YouTube. You guys better go to this concert. I want every single Jew there, I want every single seat sold out. I want this concert to make Jewish history. Oh, all right, next we have Akiva. Akiva is a very popular singer here in the land of Israel. He's also from Shomer Shabbos. He has a family. He wears a kippah. He wears his tzitzis out. And he wrote one of the most incredible anthems for Chayalim here in the land of Israel. It's called Shalom Babayit, Peace in the Land. It's just, it pulls on all your heartstrings. And honestly, I don't even know what it means 100%, but still, to me, this is just the Chayalim coming home, the soldiers walking home, Erev Shabbos, with their backpacks so their mothers can wash their laundry, so they can hang out with their sisters and brothers in the land that they love, in the land that they 
give their lives for in order to protect. So this is one of Akiva's biggest hits. I can't. I just, I just, I just love it. All right. The next song is from Amir Dadon, a lesser known artist for those of you living abroad, but his song, Livchor Nachon, Livchor Nachon, to choose correctly. Well, that song has been covered by many, many artists, including the Freilach Band with Jaron Goshevsky on the piano. And I know this because the piano intro is a little tricky, especially in the key that it's played in. It's a very unique intro, considering how basic some Jewish intros, um, at least for piano ballads, go. So yeah, Liv Chornachon, a very popular song, also covered on The Voice here in Israel. This is a clip from the song that made him famous when he sang it along Ishai Rebo here in Israel as a duet, and people just went nuts. <laughs> So if you don't have tickets <laughs> to the concert of the year, well, hopefully you do now. No one asked me to actually promote this concert. I'm doing it from the goodness of my heart. And you know what? Maybe I'll be there. Maybe I have a box seat up in the theater with kosher food for me and my family so we can enjoy that concert. Maybe. Except that I did not win the Powerball, unfortunately. Some other Joe Schmo did. In all likelihood, I will be here in Israel, at least until after Yom Tif, And that's why it was so wonderful to get away with the kids for a week. Now, the original idea was that my husband was going to take all my children to Dubai. And I was going to stay here in the land of Israel. Ki'ilu, I'm in the bungalow. Like, I'm here in the bungalow in the land of Israel. I always tell my parents, you know what's great about living in Israel during the summer? Being in Israel for the summer. I love it. So what better vacation can I have than my husband taking my children out of the country for a few days while I just chill here with my pup? That was the plan. And then my husband was like, I'm sorry, ma'am. We're making this a family trip. You are coming and it's going to be great. So we booked tickets to Dubai and we had the most interesting and wonderful experience, A, as a family, B, as Jews, and C, as broke Israelis. Well, we weren't broke when we left. We were broke when we came back. <laughs> and that's because there is so much money to be spent in Dubai. Do not even think about going there if you don't have some cash to unload to the hundreds of thousands of people who are waiting for your buckaroo. Not because they need your money, but because they want to sell whatever it is the sheik 
thinks they should be selling in Dubai. And that is pretty much everything under the sun. But let's back up. Let me take you step by step into Dubai in case you plan on going there or you've never been there or you've thought about being there or if you're just stuck listening to this podcast. And if I had gone to Poland or Russia or Afghanistan, you would have to hear about that too. All right. So we land in Dubai. It is boiling hot. Now, I was prepared or so I thought because I'm a Floridian. I know what Miami International Airport feels like in August and it's not fun. But this is next level heat. First of all, the sheer temperature. I mean, it is over 40 degrees Celsius, 105 Fahrenheit every single day. Every single day is a heat wave. 110, 111, 113. Nobody blinks an eye. The heat is relentless. You cannot step out the door without absolutely suffocating, being swallowed by the intense fury of the desert heat. And I'm not even exaggerating because I'm not a big Schwitzer. Like, I can take the heat. We actually walked five minutes in the heat and I was the only one who didn't faint. My, my kids were plotting. My husband was dying and he's Middle Eastern. The sun is so intense there. The UV radiations are so high that you literally, it's a kanas nefashais to spend time outdoors during the day hours. And the days are really long. The sun rises early, it sets late and the heat lingers the entire night the last day of our trip, we went to the Goldshook, and I, I will get to all that, but um, it was so hot that we literally were camped out in a air-conditioned bus station where I left one of my bags with some souvenirs. I know, I know, it was my fault. Regardless, we were suffocating from the heat, and we just all clamored into a bus stop, which in New York City would be a homeless shelter. It was cleaner and cooler than any other public space I've ever seen in any other city, and people were just sitting there like it was a totally normal thing. For this reason, most people in Dubai spend a lot of time indoors. Dubai is known for its indoor attractions. For the most incredible mall you've ever seen, which we're going to get into, the entertainment centers, which we didn't even make it to because we were so busy in the mall. That is what people do to escape the heat. Don't see a lot of people on the streets. There are no outdoor parks. There are no outdoor sports centers. Everything is air-conditioned. There's no dogs on the street. There's no cats on the street. There isn't a cockroach on the street. It is so hot outside. The only people on the street are people running to their cars while the brutal desert wind blows at their faces. This is not a escapable heat. It's not a manageable heat. It's just pure desert hell. <laughs> Day and night. Now, I went in August, granted, and there were a lot of people there too who clearly thought the way we did and that was my choice. I'm sure it gets cooler in the winter, but one thing's for sure. Anywhere where six months of the year, you cannot step outside. It's just, you know, it's a special kind of blessing. Let's just put it that way. Blessing in quotes. All right. So we come to Dubai exactly one year since the Abraham Accords. Literally today is one year since Israel, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Sudan, and Morocco made a peace agreement called the Abraham Accords, like Avram Avinu, the patriarch of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, normalizing relations, normalizing flights so that our family could afford to get on a airplane, land in Dubai, and safely navigate their city, enjoy what the city has to offer, and come back here in one piece without any anti-Semitism at all. And that is a beautiful thing, especially because Dubai is fascinating. The contrast between the wealth and the traditions there and just the sheer volume of the incredible skyscrapers. I mean, they were just like, let's mess with the clouds. Let's just build buildings that go all the way up 
into the atmosphere. And by the way, they do mess with the clouds because our taxi driver told us that it was raining and hailing and boiling all at the same time the entire week before we had landed. True story. I think the rain was supposed to cool down the city, but the taxi driver gave me the impression that it was still boiling hot. Anyways, we come to Dubai. We check into the hotel that the Shliach recommended. Thank you very much. And we headed over to our first stop to get food. <laughs> the first stop was to get food and food we got at the kosher place where we ate dinner practically every single night and it was just delicious. Not cheap, just delicious, however. Like we had no qualms about eating the same hamburger and schnitzel and fries and dips at this joint every single night. Still boiling hot outside, but cool in the restaurants, delicious, and, you know, perfect for our family that was trying to just fill up our belly so we can get back to the hotel, get up in the morning, and be energized for shopping. Because <laughs> that's really all my kids wanted to do. And I totally don't blame them because that's pretty much all I wanted to do too. And I'm not even a shopper. But we did start off at the Museum of the Future, which is a very, very cool very futuristic, beautiful building, one of the most beautiful buildings, they say, in the world. It's just a massive, gleaming, metal, round, morphing, shifting, Arabic-looking oval. I'm not sure if it's an oval or like a ring. It's just really, really cool. And when you come in, there's like a flying robot, and it's all very clean and all very modern. I personally found the museum a little slow, but that's just because I grew up going to Disney World where the rides come to you. I'm a spoiled American. I don't want to walk around your museum. I want to pay, sit, and have the museum come to me. Like, it's a small world after all. I really thought that the Museum of Future would be a bunch of Arabic kids singing It's a Big World After All in Arabic. I was a little disappointed. Anyways, we walked through the museum. It was air-conditioned. It was cool. And it was directly connected to the train station. So that was pretty cool. We took the train, three trains actually, if I have to be honest with you, all the way to the Atlantis in the Palm, where you can visit the resort for free. Although you have to pay if you want to go into the actual lobby or into the Aqua Adventure. But it was so hot, my kids didn't even want to go outside. Forget about to the actual water park. They also have a Dolphin Bay, separate admission fees. Everything costs money there. Um, and you can't sit for free because you're not allowed to loiter. There is no loitering in Dubai. Let me just describe a little bit about the actual culture that you're experiencing there because this is not America. This is an entirely different animal. And if you are in the know about Islamic mentality, you start to see the things that are the reality for the people who live there. And it's not always pretty. For example, did you know that in Dubai... In the United Arab Emirates, you can marry more than one wife. You can marry more than two wives. You can actually marry four wives. <laughs> Those are just some of the wonderful Islamic values that are an integral part of the culture there. It's respected in the city. People observe these traditions. There are tons of mosques and you know religious landmarks. The call to prayer is heard throughout the day. You can hear it outside the Dubai Mall. People are modest. People are dressed modest. There's a strict dress code. So while Dubai is relatively liberal, you could even say, compared to some other Middle Eastern cities, there's definitely an expectation of how people should be dressed. There's actually a statue across from the Burj Khalifa, a white marble and black granite man and woman the woman is in an abaya, wearing all black. The man is wearing a uh, kandura, which is all white. 
and that is the entrance of the Burj Khalifa, a 4.25-meter statue of a man and woman dressed exactly how most of the men and women, the Emiratis, dress in Dubai. So just in case you think for one second that this is a country where everybody is just doing their own thing, not really. Uh, there is tolerance. There is some diversity. There's no question that there's a ton of immigrants that work, live, and spend money in the city. It's extremely diverse as far as nationalities go, but the dress code is pretty strict, and most women are wearing traditional attire. Most women are covering their hair. Most women were wearing some sort of hijab or a baya or a niqab or burqa or chador or dupata or jibab or tunic or pants. Most people were modest, and the few people that were exposing extra skin were Israeli. <laughs> I kid you not. That kind of was the vibe. So there's definitely a respect for laws and customs there, there is no public display of affection. And that's why the media is filtered. The advertisements are filtered. Everything is done modestly. And if I dare say, tastefully, there is no consumption of alcohol in public. There's no bars that you can see in the mall. There are bars in Dubai for visitors. There's alcohol in the hotel, but it's definitely not like everywhere else in the world where people are just drinking everywhere. And then you have the dichotomy of the tradition the gold shook and all the women who have hennas up and down their arms. I saw a number of women with exquisite henna tattoos on just like a regular Tuesday. And these women are dressed so magnificently. I'm talking about luxurious fabrics with draped sleeves and pleating and, and made out of silk. And, and they have these, I must have saw 10 Birkin bags. Those are $4,000 handbags on women wearing completely black, even covering their faces. So, yeah, there's no shortage of money there. There's no shortage of wealth and shopping and that bias have nothing to do with class. Quite the opposite, actually. But back to the train, which, by the way, you can travel first class. Like, you can get a ticket and go in the gold section of the train, which we didn't do. We wanted to be like the commoners, and the train was packed, but we did get seats, and I thought that was very, very nice. Immediately, people got up and offered me and my girl seats, which we took quite happily, and then... Um, we were exposed to the elements. After the second train, there was a five-minute walk from the train to the tram that takes you into the palm. Now, if you don't know what the palm is, the palm is that palm tree-shaped island that the Emiratis built out of nothing. Yeshma'ayin, literally, a palm-shaped man-made island that has a train running through it straight down the middle to the Atlantis Hotel, an absolutely architectural marvel. The thing is, by the time we got on the last connecting train, my husband was so drained from the heat because we had to transfer and we had to walk five minutes in a parking garage where it was literally so hot, it was like being in a car exhaust or a sauna or a sauna that has a car in it and the car exhaust is in your face. So we walked five minutes. I was fine. My husband was halishing. Thankfully, the train or the tram, whatever it was at that point, was air conditioned. It was gorgeous. And it was definitely worth the trip. We went to the hotel. We walked around. There were more shops. The ceiling was painted beautiful. We bought souvenirs. By the way, you're not allowed to loiter. You are not allowed to loiter in Dubai at all. You're not allowed to sit on the floor. There's no chairs outside the hotel because nobody sits outside. And inside, they want to keep you walking so that you keep shopping. <laughs> um, yeah, so we were at the Atlantis. It was absolutely gorgeous. Maybe one day we'll stay there. It's definitely the perfect atmosphere for a family. If you could afford it, there's entertainment, there's indulgence. It's a very sought after destination for travelers. And it was definitely worth the trip, in my opinion, personally, even though my husband insisted that we take 
a Quebec. Leave it to my husband, by the way. He found three Indian drivers who are all brothers, and they were at our beck and call the entire trip. They picked us up. They dropped us off. They waited an hour and a half at each location till we were done for no extra charge. And by the time we left, they told my husband they had never been treated so nicely by any visitor at the Hilton Hotel before. So I thought that was very nice. Okay, more about Dubai. Let's talk about the mall. Uh, The mall is just what shopping dreams are made of. And I'm not even a shopper. First of all, it's massive. Like you walk into a massive atrium with soaring ceilings and polished marble. It's really just the scale of it is just awe-inspiring, honestly. And then you have the stores. I'm talking about Chanel, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, Prada, Dior, Fendi, Versace, Hermes, Balenciaga, Burberry, Valentino, Jimmy Choo, Alexander McQueen, Dolce & Gabbana, Saint Laurent, Cartier, Tiffany, Bulgari, you name it, they have it. And they have the best of everything. I am pretty sure that those designers are well aware that the people in Dubai are buying more modest clothing because everything was mostly modest. Yeah, mostly modest. Obviously not according to halacha, um, to the letter of the law, but as far as designers go, I mean, this stuff was just absolutely stunning. Okay, so you you walk through, you have all these gorgeous, gorgeous stores. You realize that you literally can't afford anything. So you keep walking and the Dubai Mall does not disappoint. First of all, there is the Dubai Aquarium and Underground Zoo. Now, I, I have to be honest. I have to be honest. If you grew up going to the Miami Aquarium, you don't need to go to this. You don't. There's nothing there that I have to say I haven't personally seen before, except the sheer size of it. I mean, 10 million liters of water in a fish tank, essentially smack in the middle of the wall. So you're walking in the mall, and there are two floors. I said the middle of the wall, but it is the middle of the wall. Two floors of an aquarium that you could just casually enjoy while you're shopping. Thousands of fish, and, and what are they called? Stingrays and sharks, and it's beyond beyond gorgeous and everyone who shops there gets the experience of witnessing that in person and taking pictures of it it's pretty pretty awe-inspiring and then if you pay 75 dollars, you can go inside and again walk around too much for 75 dollars um, and get a you know more interactive experience but again i want the ride to come to me i want to sit and be taken around and have the fish swim up to me. I don't want to feed them. I want them to feed me, (laughs) especially for $75 a person. So while it was beautiful and interesting to the kids and there were penguins and sharks and a glass bottom boat, um, I was a little underwhelmed. And I refused to spend 300 shekel on the family photo and snow globe that they had waiting for us when we left the attraction. Plus, by the way, they gave us about 150 shekel to use in the gift shop where we bought a massive penguin and Emirati's cap that I left, like I mentioned earlier, in the air-conditioned bus stop. So that was a little disappointing. (laughs) I love free things. I know we paid for it, essentially, but it felt free. Anyway, so that was the aquatic zoo. Very, very cool, but nothing that you won't see in Disney World. It's It's just not Disney World. It's cool, but it's not Disney World. All right, what else is in that mall? Well, you have a state-of-the-art movie theater complex, which we didn't go to. Though considering that Dubai actually censors their media, my kids would be better off in a theater there than Chas Shalom here. Of course, there's a ton of restaurants, designer cafes. Like if you want to have coffee with your husband and three sister wives, you can have it at the Armani Cafe or at the Gucci Cafe. These beautiful, elegant, magnificent dining experiences 
throughout the mall, all throughout the mall, where these Emiratis are sitting, having the time of their lives with their Birkin bags, eating their French macaroons. Um, all right, what else is in that mall that I remember? Let's see. Oh, the ice rink. There is a full-sized Olympic ice rink smack in the middle of the mall. All throughout the day, people are skating. There's music playing. It's clean. It's organized. It's expensive. And they take pictures of you that we didn't buy on the way out. So the ice skating was a big success. My kids were very excited about that. You could also go into Kidzania, which is like a whole interactive entertainment center, which we kind of skipped because I was like, we could do that in Israel. Let's um, let's go eat. <laughs> we were so hungry. The truth is we still had a few things on our list, including the gold shook, which is also a spice shook, the Dubai water show that was on our list. The Dubai water show is basically, I think they have something similar in Vegas. It's just a synchronized water fountain dance that has these powerful jets they shoot water up in the air and it plays with music was actually michael jackson i was thinking the irony of michael jackson playing in dubai with all these people wearing hijabs kind of swaying along yeah so they have some nights they have orchestral pieces sometimes modern pop songs sometimes arabic songs first there was the call to prayer then then there was the big dubai show the burj khalifa changes colors and everything starts sparkling and it's just it's a very disney world vegas feel and it's it's just beautiful and it's a very big tourist attraction so we spent some time over there we bought 16 bottles of water because it was boiling hot even though it was 10 o'clock at night but we were on vacation and so we grabbed a cab from one of those indian guys that were waiting for us and we headed over to the gold shook the highlight of my trip i was looking forward to this the entire time because who doesn't love a, a good shook especially one that sells some of the most beautiful gold in the world. So let me describe to you the gold shook just so you get an idea what it's like to see some of the most expensive, exquisite pieces of jewelry, gold jewelry you've ever seen before with your bulging human eyes. The gold shook is about 20 minutes from the Burj Khalifa and it is a dazzling marketplace located in the heart of Dubai's Dira district. And there you walk around in the heat and you just stare at these opulent necklaces and bracelets and rings and earrings my kids were like this can't be real i was like i know but it is real we went into a store and my husband was going to buy a ring for my great-grandmother and it was like 800 dollars for a slim tiny gold band and i was like we could just buy her a snow globe <laughs> of our family and she'll be just as happy but it's pretty exquisite i i found myself wondering who's actually buying this stuff like who is buying loincloths made out of gold crowns, bracelets, massive dangling earrings, nose rings. You could buy bars of gold, just random bars of precious 24 karat gold that costs more than your entire life. Everything is detailed, the filigree and you know calligraphy on everything. And it was just, it was beyond. It's just, you've never seen the beauty of gold <laughs> until you have seen the gold shook in Dubai. And that was definitely the highlight of my trip. We bought my daughter a sparkling scarf thing to wrap around her head and they tied it on like Jasmine and we took pictures and put it in our WhatsApp group and it was very exciting and they were laughing and that was just, oh my gosh. Nothing like family time when you are melting to death, literally melting to death. It was so hot. My kids didn't even want to cross the street to go see the Indians working for five shekel an hour unloading their boats with their merchandise at 10 o'clock at night while it was 100 degrees. I did get a kick, however, <laughs> on the way back. Um, after I had lost my bag from the aquarium, I saw people working out. I saw people working out. It was so hot. 
And there they were, exercising. It was, that was awe-inspiring, let me tell you. Anyways, the bottom line is, as an Israeli, as a Jew, all I can say is that I'm very happy that our political relations have improved to the extent that we can come to Israel and be greeted warmly and respected as Jews. That was definitely very pleasant. And as far as family summer trips go, Dubai was really a great experience for my kids. They thoroughly enjoyed going and they thoroughly enjoyed coming home. Not just because it's 20 degrees cooler here, but also because there is no place on the planet as beautiful as Eretz Yisrael. That's just the bottom line. I don't care how much garbage is on the floor here. I don't care how many homeless cats. I don't care what the park smells like at six o'clock in the morning. The sky is bluer. The grass is greener. The air is sweeter. The fruits and vegetables are more delicious. The history is more inviting. And despite the fact that Beit Shemesh Mall is the size of the Dubai Mall bathroom, <laughs> I am very happy to live here and I am perfectly content with my small, tiny country and all the incredible things that Israel has done since we've been established, despite the fact that most of our budget goes to security. So yeah, no regrets. I am very happy for Dubai with their oil revenues and their international trade and their tourism, but we have everything we need here. Baruch Hashem, we have a great economy, we have technology, we have innovation, we have agriculture, great tourists, delicious fruits and vegetables. Eretz Yisrael is the holiest place in the world, the land that belongs to the Jewish people, the land that was given to the children of God because it is blessed in each and every way, four amazing seasons, the seven special species that we have here are incomparable, and traveling to Dubai only reminded me how lucky I am. Ashreinu matov chalkeinu that Eretz Yisrael was given to the Jewish people, and this is the only land that I ever want to be in. And you can take that to the bank. All right. My guests today are two terrific fellows. I am very, very happy to bring you them. Pro Spartan racer, NBC American Ninja Warrior on season 14 and 15, winner of the CBS Million Dollar Mile, psychotherapist, the founder of the J.I. Foundation, Michael Newman is here. And he, together with Ellie Casper a fellow Boca Raton resident who volunteers for the foundation. Well, they're going to share the story of how they ended up on America Ninja Warrior, although you and I will never see that episode, despite the fact that they schlepped all the way out to Los Angeles with the terrific Ari Cohen, who has a rare chromosomal disorder that often leads to death before a child's first birthday. He is part of this group of incredible people pushing through their physical challenges through sports Thanks to Michael and Ellie, two great guys changing the world one race at a time. Ellie and Michael, welcome to the Weekly Squeeze. What a treat to have you guys here. You're in Canada. Ellie, where are you? Boca Raton, Florida. Nice. My home state. My home state. I always say my heart is half in Florida, half in Israel, and I am perpetually hot, <laughs> especially in the summer. I think we all are here. If you yes, if you're yes, born and you... raised in Florida, I, I'm still in you know Miami area. Um, you, wherever you go, it's hot. Like it's just that's that. If you were born and raised there, you could be in freezing temperatures and you still feel hot. 
Yeah, your blood changes. You become like a lizard. <laughs> you become cold-blooded. Yeah. But we're not going to talk about yeah. reptiles. We are here to talk about human beings who are doing good things for important causes. And my mother actually sent me your Instagram account, and she said, you need to talk to him on the podcast. And I was like, I'm not into sports. I, I, this is not. This does not interest me at all. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm telling you, these guys are doing great things. So why don't you guys just kind of jump in and share with my audience a little bit about what you do why you made the news and what positive things you are trying to accomplish with that all. Well, Michael, go ahead. Well, first off, um, now I remember who your mother is. And I just had an amazing conversation with her on the side of the road on Shabbos. Yes, that's She's my mother. Yes. <laughs> Talk about <laughs> that's power. It. with the program. Woo. And she's a runner. And she's a and runner. The, 13 uh, miles, yeah. Runner, runner, you know, like passionate runner. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we had a whole lovely that's conversation. Right. Um, and yeah, to synopsize, you know, first off, I think Ellie and I are here because we, we, you know, the main mission in life is to make an impact wherever we can. And I think just based off of that uh, direction, we've kind of stumbled into, you know, a, where Hashem takes us all, just stumbled into uh, a lot of that word impacting and being there for others and trying to do good in the world. So basically, you know, I was on a TV show $4 million mile where I was in my yarmulke and I beat a, another athlete and, and won prize money was one of the winners on there. And I started this nonprofit. I'm also a pro Spartan racer. And so from there, I wanted to kind of combine and I'm a psychotherapist. So I want to combine this psychological understanding of environments, how we change in environments with uh, a physical environment. So like boot camp and army and Spartan race. So I was doing that. So I said, why don't we take kids with physical challenges, pair them with teammates that we all train together with, and then go through very extreme environments and races, Spartan races, marathons, you know, anything that will challenge everyone to come together and work together. And one of the things that the athletes wanted us to do was for me to compete on American Ninja Warrior. And then from there, I'll speed up the journey a little bit from there, compete the past two years. And then uh, I made it to semifinals on the show. And then per a lot of the articles and Ellie and everyone like that, then uh, you know, it was on Shabbos and didn't compete on Shabbos. Um, but tremendous experience. The kids were with us. We were able to fundraise enough to get the kids out there, the, the kids in the show and to the show, inspiring me, inspiring everyone and showing how amazing they are as superheroes and how incredible. If we all come together, we can overcome any obstacle. And I think that's really what this whole nonprofit. I think that's, you know, Ellie and, and the board and, and, and what we all, everyone in this little community that we've created is all about coming together. And because of the kids, they show that if you go through challenge, you go through struggle, the, really one of the common the main things is if you have the right team around you, you you're going to be able to overcome any of those obstacles or challenges. But, but let's back up because I'm, I'm thinking about my audience and people listening. And I don't think you realize that most people don't know half of the words you just said, because we're not athletes. We are not interested in <laughs> obstacles. <laughs> we're not doing sprints. We're not doing monkey bars. We're not doing zip lining. We're just walking through the streets and trying not to stumble and hurt ourselves. <laughs> so you're a psychotherapist living in Florida. You're an athlete. Is that something that your parents encouraged you to be growing up? Was that something part of your education? I know Hebrew Academy is very athletic and they sure. support that kind of growth and all that. So just like take us back into the mindset of a from working Jewish father and husband who got involved in an organization through sports 
Am I am I on the right path? Sure, I'll, I'll clarify a little bit of you for you. And I think Ellie, I can't wait to hear. You know, Ellie's been a, a, a such a strength in the nonprofit and helping us get there. So I'd love for him to speak a lot about that and and, and the ninja and such. But me particularly, so I did grow up in in Miami Beach. Um, incredible love. I love my parents. They're amazing and well, I think very open minded. I was homeschooled before it was cool to be homeschooled. Okay, before, you know, I was homeschooled at the time, you know, when uh, the stigma was real, <laughs> you know, um, but my mother loved the concept of homeschooling and wanted, you know, and saw, you know, the uniqueness to be able to do unique things and to educate in, in a different manner. And she was a teacher as well. So that played into that. And sports was always a huge focal point, um, was in every single sport. And I, it, it was so wonderful to play sports and I understand a lot of people don't understand sports, but I think sports really does allow you to challenge yourself in a way that you're not capable of doing in other things because it's right there. You know, there is a win or lose and there is an aspect of, you know, when you lose, you can grow and when you win, you can grow. But it's still that moment, very, very present moment when you're in an athletic, you know, event where it's here is the moment. Are you going to stop? Are you going to give up? Are you going to have, you know, overcome? And it's just that moment. And I think it was a wonderful thing to grow up with and to learn how to overcome those things. So I think sport for a lot of people, it's a wonderful way to overcome and learn a lot about yourself in that way. And then we translate right. that over to the nonprofit. So that's where that's where Ellie comes in. So you are working with kids that have disabilities. Now, usually, am I, am I right? Children with disabilities or young adults? Yeah, kids and teens with physical challenges. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that doesn't usually vibe with sports. So that's where it's getting complicated. So Ellie, can you explain to us how children who have limitations are part of this organization where a guy like Michael is bouncing off the walls trying to win millions of dollars? Like, what's the cashier? How does this work? This may not be something that I can explain. You may just have to come and join us at a Spartan race to understand <laughs> oh, <gosh>. it. <laughs> I have to sit in the audience and see it. First person. No audience. <laughs> Oh, there's no audience? No, you're going to be in it. We don't want You can't see it. Me? Look. You can't see it. <laughs> Have we met? I am a creative. I am not an athlete. Okay. So let's not, maybe a game of Machanayim. But yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. So, so to see it is to understand it. So in my mind, our organization is doing exactly what Michael shared, which is we are all just challenging ourselves. That's, that's what I was ultimately hearing him saying. That's raison d'etre, if you will. If I actually pronounce that correctly. Raison d'être. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not, you're, you're closer. Fr- to, to I learned French in Montreal. <laughs> I was telling Michael earlier, I learned French in Montreal, but raison d'être. Okay. All right. That's the focus. Thank you. That, that, that pronunciation, sure, I'll take it. So um, it, it, it's just about challenging ourselves, pushing ourselves. And yes, uh, athletes with, uh, with medical challenges, perhaps they may have a more difficult time with certain courses more than others. I don't particularly have any significant medical challenges. And I struggle with all the courses. So it takes a team. It takes a team, everything in life. We all have to work together to get through life. And it on the on the core on the obstacle course of a Spartan race, it's just it's the adrenaline is flowing, blood is spilling, the tears are there, the motions are high. Uh, no audience, just ourselves. We're just pushing ourselves, we're fighting ourselves. And the only thing we need to do, uh, the only thing we need to do is to show up and to commit to putting one step in front of, in front of the other. And that's what every single person does. Every athlete, 
and every every volunteer. And, and together, uh, and together, so far you've completed the Fort Lauderdale half marathon, Run Disney Princess half marathon, which I have contemplated joining just because it sounds so appealing. The 10K, I guess that's Florida, and your Perm 5K dash. So you guys have been, you've hit the ground running since this organization has been formed. Yes, yeah, I'll, I'll add some more into there. We've done over six or seven different Spartan races at different distances, and we train together every you know every month and. Um, the numerous challenges um, on on you know our little chats and stuff like that. So we definitely have definitely shown up. I think the, the thing that is so amazing about the nonprofit is you know we come to help the kids with with these physical challenges, and it's anywhere from you know being in a wheelchair, you know visual impairment, actually battling cancer, seizures, anything you, you name it. You know we we love these kids to come out and show us because we come and, you know, in our daily lives and we're, Oh, we're going to help them. You know, we're going to help these kids. And in the, what every single person really learns very quickly is they're the ones helping us because when you go through challenge and when you're in a challenge, right, you have no way but to go through that challenge unless you have an opportunity to quit, <laughs> you know, and we always look for those things. But the mindset that a lot of these kids have is you there's there's no there's no out. Do you know what I mean? There's no there's no reality where you don't go through that challenge because they have to you know, <laughs> we're going to the doctors today. <laughs> they have no choice but to You're go going to the doctors right. today. You don't want to go to the doctors today? Too like really too bad. <laughs> you know, like and so what happens is the, the, the kids and the teens really develop this joy about these challenges. And they will just do it no matter what, you know, Chaya Rus at the end, you know, one of my favorite stories at the end of the marathon, just after, you know, her journey in cancer and, and coming back and you know, closes her eyes and says, sister, just, just tell me where to go. And is power walking, you know, the rest and go, and we go, you know, do, she, sister goes, do you want to, do you want to sit down and take a rest? She goes, no, if I take a rest, if I sit down, I'll, 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 I'll quit. And I, and I can't do that. So. Moving forward. And it's just like, it's not an option. <laughs> it's not an option to quit. You're in it and you got to go through it. And thank God, you know, if you're, if you're smart about challenges, you'll have people around you to assist you in those hard times. So I think that's what Ellie was saying is that, you know, there's, it's the team when we're doing races, you know, we're all together. We're all, you know, spilling our guts. It's kind of like an environment. You know, environments do make us who we are a lot of times. So you know, and you got to go through it and with through it with people and, and good, you know, yeah. Ellie, how do you get involved? How do volunteers get involved? How do people find out about this organization? How do I know people listening are like, oh, this sounds amazing. So how, how do you get people to participate in all of this excitement? Lots and lots of burpees. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't want to scare everybody away. Uh, the, the answer is we have a, a formal application process. And we could share that link with you after this uh, after this after this podcast. I'll put it awesome. in the show notes. Thank you. And anyone who is interested is more than welcome to apply. Uh, we don't even require any kidneys, left or right. Just have to apply, answer the questions, and uh, and and we go through them. And every every race is different. Uh, some races we already have set um, uh, athletes and volunteers for. Uh, sometimes we 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 operate on a larger scale, and we get. We need to recruit some new volunteers. So um, there, there's not much other than just putting your first and best foot forward uh, with a simple application. 
there funds needed for this? Is this something that you need to raise money for? Like, what 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 could the costs be? Michael's smiling. He's like billions <laughs> no, of dollars. No, no, no. <laughs> it's something. It's something funny. Is that I think just by my experiences and things, the main concept is we want to be there for the kids first. And that's the whole main objective so much to the point where we've neglected that aspect sometimes, you know, and we'll just do what we need to do to be there for the kids and reality checks in. You know, and, and to, and of course, anyone who would love to, to, to do, donate to help whatever way you can, we greatly appreciate it. I think we would love more to impact and have you a part of our journey. If, if, you know, you match for the program because it's a specific, you know, thing that we're trying to develop for the kids and, and these groups that, you know, accomplish any of these crazy races. But regardless, we are very focused on making an impact. So anyway, we can do that for a kid, for somebody to be inspired. You know, that's why going on Ninja was so important, you know, to inspire, to, to show the kids that that they matter. We, we don't care. We want to really try to be there for other people as much as we can. So on the funds side, yes, anything you'd like to donate, it goes to the kids. We, you know, I, I do say this publicly. I have not paid myself for, you know, at the beginning for it's still, the, you, know, <laughs> you know, and just trying to make it, you know, for, um, for the kids and making sure that we can get the best out of that experience. Right. I'm looking at the pictures on the website, the jiffoundation.org slash gallery, and they're really heartwarming. I see enthusiastic faces, sweaty faces, wheelchairs, and kids making an effort, and all of you guys cheering them on. There's a lot, like, a great energy that comes through all of that. So if you're interested in what it looks like, you can go to the website and check that out. I, I think the greatest thing, that one of the amazing things for people who are, who are looking to be inspired, I think what it does is that it challenges our stereotypes of ourselves. And I say this particularly, and we had Ari, first race we ever did. And I will, I'm not a perfect human being. I try to do my best every day. I try to learn and I'll say that anywhere. <laughs> you know? um, and, and I believe that I have a lot more to, to work on and thus what the kids you know, teach me every day. Um, uh, Ari, the first day I, we, we, got, we went, okay, look, we went to Leia, you know, Ari's mom. And we said, look, it's our first race. I don't know if we're going to be able to get Ari through the race. We're just, we're looking at him. We're seeing the situation. We got 20 obstacles. This is, this is real stuff. It's very dangerous. We're going to go halfway through the course. And then, you know, the first half mile and we'll bring him to the end. We'll let him do a couple obstacles and we'll clap. And I said this to her um, from, you know, a safety standpoint. And she looked at me and she went, no, <laughs> she said, trust me, Ari will, will get through it. And trust me. I said, okay, but just in case, she said, fine, go, <laughs> you know, learn, learn what's about to happen. Ari did about seven to 10 obstacles by himself. And thus what, when you look at the pictures, we just psychologically, nothing wrong with it. We put people into boxes. We say, this is what we believe. This is what we've seen. And this is what the reality is going to be because of the voices and the, and the, and the, um, you know, narrative in our head. And then you see Ari give these, these obstacles and you go, that's not supposed to happen, you know, and you get. Right. You, you ran with Ari. Uh, Ellie, you have been running with Ari every week or for, I mean, what, what's that experience like? It's it's definitely been an experience. Um, 
Billy Ella Michael was just sharing about uh, essentially our our preconceived notions about other people on, on on what we see and what we perceive and believe and accept as a given as fact. Uh, I I had I did not have too much connection or interaction with the people with medical challenges prior to being a part of this amazing organization. And after uh, a race or two, I just I felt like Ari just and his his parents became approachable, and I found out they lived in my in my in, here in Boca, and I approached them and I said, "Hey, could me and Ari just go out on a run on a Sunday? You know, next Sunday after this race." And uh, I think there may have been a little bit of hesitancy, uh, but they're like, "Okay, fine, no problem." That and, means you're running and you're pushing his wheelchair. Yeah, for the most part, but uh, Ari being the Spartan that he is, we, we do stop here and there and we find obstacles along the way, such as uh, uh, guardrails, uh, tree stumps. Um, sometimes we're just chasing birds and iguanas here. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is that will keep you on your toes and excited to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we just uh, we, we go out and about. We're usually doing anywhere between five to nine miles uh, on a Sunday morning here in uh, in West Boca and uh, Where, by the way it can feel like a swamp even on a Sunday morning at you know 8 a.m because I grew up in Florida it's not like there's a cool breeze suddenly coming through as the sun rises it's there, hot there no 24 breezes, hours a day cool otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> and it's often in the rain so this is some real mysterious and he, here. And he shows he shows up every week and I think also to that point is that like even for myself, you know, Ari seems a certain way. And then Ali tells me, like, you know, the, like he is an incredible human being. And you don't see it. And every, I mean, you can speak more to that, Ali. Like every run you guys run, it's just like, you know, he's incredible. I'm looking at a picture <laughs> of him here wearing the matching T-shirt with the red sneakers. He looks like he's a character. Yeah. I want to share with my audience, though, the drama, I would say, unless it was sensationalized. But to me, it sounded pretty authentic. That took place revolving the uh, American Ninja Warrior. I know that you guys were excited to be part of that and have your team shown off to the world. And your it, it's a nice boost, uh, a nice feather in your cap when your organization makes broadcast television. But things didn't go as planned. So if the two of you want to share that story and what you learned from it and what we can learn from it and um, where you guys are holding now as far as your potential fame in the future. What did Mr. Rogers say? Fame is a two-letter word. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's a beautiful talk about how you have to, you know, do and, and, and be who you are. And it's not it's not a real thing, fame. You know, I think if we're gonna go spiritual, it's just a catalyst to be able to impact more people if you know you're given that opportunity. So it's the same action. But NBC did give you well. NBC did give you the opportunity, and they invited oh, you guys was, all down. Oh, it was it was wonderful. Yeah, a whole yeah. party. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it was such an incredible opportunity. The the word yeah, I, I just yeah the word organization is bothering me because it's not an organization; it's a community of people. And I just pointing that out just for myself. It's like what we all did to you know the, the excitement. To go to, to the show together, Ellie, everyone traveled together and we all learned together and just it was it was unbelievable. But um, yeah, the synopsis was uh, so so Ari is actually Ari, Adira, Chaya Ruth were the ones that 
you know, really wanted me to go on the show and were very excited about it. And you know, the first year I went and, you know, it was very, I trained so hard for it. And, and because how can you not train when you're pushed, by, <laughs> you know, but I, I had a moment in training. I had a moment in training that I'll never forget where um, I was with Ari and his mom, Leia, and, and I'm doing an obstacle and I kept failing it. And, and I, and I just went, all right, that's it. I can't, my, 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 you know, arms have, when, when you do a lot of opposite upper body, your, your, your forearms pump. So it becomes really hard when, and I was doing it for like 10 minutes already. I couldn't, I could, just couldn't get it. And I finally just was like, I, or not two minutes, whatever, not 10 minutes. It was whatever, a lot, the amount of time that my, that my arms pumped. And I said, you know, I really can't, you know, uh, do this anymore. And Ari signed to her, to, to his mom and to me, do it again, <laughs> you know? And I went, okay, I did it again. I was like, that, that's it, you know? And Ari, do it again. And I went, uh, okay. And, and. By the third time of do it again, I was like, that's it, you know? And Ari's mom looked at me and said, You think that that you think that's the response Ari gives when he has to go to do a surgery again? Do it again. <laughs> and so I kept doing it. There's no happy ending to the story. I couldn't complete the obstacle, you know. But that was kind of the journey of American Ninja Warrior. And the journey I think all of us have is that you don't know the end results of things. You do it again, you know, for how much. And, and of course, there are always ends. And of course, you know, I couldn't complete it. And there is a time and a period where you don't have anything left. But you're going to want to make sure you don't have anything left. Because if you had a little bit left, it's not that maybe you would have completed it if you had a little bit left. You're not going to be able to learn the full message that Hashem gave you. Because Hashem gives you a moment and a time and an experience. And if you don't give it your all, you're going to miss the message that Hashem wants you. Maybe not for that moment, but for the moment in the future. That you, if you give it a little bit more in that next moment, that next opportunity, you'd be able to, 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 to accomplish or do whatever Hashem wants you to do. So it doesn't go our way. It went exactly our way. We, we went there. We the kindness of people to donate and to get the kids there just enough to give them a five-star experience um and just a celebration of who they were um american ninja was so nice to have them part of b-roll they were the tv stars they were had smiles on their faces and i did make it to semifinals per you know ellie and the board <laughs> and you know they they went and you know told their story and their truth um, you know, after, you know, the whole drama, I could leave it there to you, Ellie, you know, what, what unfolded there, but, you know, it was definitely so grateful to Ninja, so grateful for the kids for coming, so grateful for all the people that helped us get the kids there. And then just forever grateful for what was where, what Hashem wanted us to accomplish clear as day. I love that. I love <laughs> that. That is, that is terrific. Yeah. We don't live in a, a static world. And when you believe and when you're connected, everything happens for a reason. It's plain and simple. Yeah. So with that attitude, we say you're always a winner. <laughs> for a reason, but do we really feel that? Because that's verbiage. Do we feel that it happens for a reason? When when I don't know, cursing is okay, but when it's the fan, you know, do you really feel? Do 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 you feel that, or is it a lot of talk? And I think that's a very big dis d distinction, and that comes. Not with just belief that comes with a lot of practice in the moments that you have now. I think Tamir Goodman said, 
you know, uh, I had a conversation with him. If you don't get good at the little things, you're not going to get good at the big things, you know? That's right. I'm a musician. So I know the yeah. time that it takes and the struggle that goes on behind and the scenes. And that's with moments, but that's yeah, with moments. No pain, moments no gain. skill. People forget, you know, we, we spend so much time in music, you know, in harping a skill, but you know, something doesn't go our way. You know, we have a conversation, didn't go our way with, with somebody that's not so significant. Do we get upset about it? Or do we realize, or do we work on that skill and say, okay, let's try to let it go. <laughs> you know, Ellie, what was your, what was your takeaway, Ellie, from the experience of, uh, having your dream quote killed thanks to the NBC executives who decided that they're not going to air the footage. Like how did you um, get affected by it all that? It was an amazing opportunity for growth on so many different levels. Um, acceptance just of, Hey, this is where Hashem wants us right now. And at the same time, okay, this is where we are right now, but maybe we have a mountain we need to climb. Maybe we have, an obstacle course to overcome. Maybe we need to assert ourselves, speak up and say, listen, we don't feel this is right. Michael worked very, very, very hard. I, I, I think he lost track of how much blood he spilled and doing it to inspire our kids. And the kids had a trip of a lifetime. It was, it was so amazing. And for them to be able to look up to to their hero, to our hero, to Michael, to see all uh, a shining light and example for us for putting in all that sweat, blood, and tears. And, and as a standing proud Orthodox Jew, wearing his kippah on national television and making it to the semifinals and then being told, hey, sorry, bub, you're not going to go on to the taping. We're not going to feature you. That, that, we were very let down. We were disappointed. And that's when we said, we're going to raise our voice. We're going to say, you know what? This doesn't feel right to us. You know, we understand that you have, NBC have your logistics, but we're very, very happy uh, that, that Michael did what he did. And we respectfully would request at least to provide us with the footage. Would it have been amazing if they would have backtracked and said, yeah, you know what? We're going to feature Mike, Michael. Yeah. Did I expect that? It's a multi-million dollar production. You have to be realistic. But what I took out of it was, was that in life, Hashem gives us the message. And sometimes it's, yeah, this is the answer for right now. But you need to dive and you need to put your effort in. You need to put your best foot forward. And we did that. And we're grateful that at the end of the day, NBC got back to us pretty quickly, actually, and said, you know what? Here, we dug up the footage. Here you go. And it's it just so meaningful to, to all of us, you know, to the kids to be able to see it. It was, it was real kindness. It was real kindness. Cause I think they felt that, the, I think it was, I think they felt the pain of, you know, Leia of Ferrari, you know, Leia had said, you know, I don't know how much time we, you know, I mean, that takes it for everybody. Right. But, you know, she said that. And, and I think, I think they recognized the, the kids being there, you know, what they represented in, in not only struggle, but overcoming, I think, you know, it was, it was a wonderful, a wonderful, beautiful gesture of humanity to say, we understand, totally get where everyone's coming from. And that's the world we live in. You know, everyone's, you know, just trying to do, do the best. And it was very, very, such, such a beautiful, really such a beautiful thing in humanity to, to have empathy for others, to, to, to say, Hey, I get where you, where, where, the, you're, where this is coming from. And, uh, but all, all right to Ellie's point. Right. I think a lot of times also, you know, it's good to, it's good to speak your truth. Agreed. 
Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing your story. I look forward to seeing what will come out of the JI for Life team that you guys have put together. I think it's good stuff. Yeah. You want to say something, Michael? Go ahead. <laughs> Jump right in. Yeah. The last the, the last thing also the last thing also I want to say is something that the 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 kids and the teens in, in the foundation really really did teach me, which is staying true to who you are is something that I'm seeing in my therapeutic practice. Identity crises and things are just out of control. Why? Where? Fine. You know, I, I, I we don't know. We can always have that conversation. But si- but simply put, they really show. I think if you come out and you do a race with us and you re- recognize that these these kids are experts at saying who they are. You know, Shabbos is such a interesting, beautiful thing. And I forgave, I forgot you know, on, on the show to not compete. And, you know, it, some people ask, you know, are you okay with that decision? I didn't even see it as a decision. You know, I didn't even, it didn't contemplate like that. It showed, it really registered for me in a way, if you have a spouse and the spouse says, you know, you can go for, you know, you, you go out with your friends, right? And you kind of realize that, you know, your spouse wants to really spend time with you now. And you say, you want to know something? I know you're okay with it, but I'm going to not, you know, go spend time with my friends, even though it'll be you know, good for me and it'll be great and whatnot, but I want to spend time with you. What you're showing that person in yourself is I love you. I just want to send you energy. I just, I'm, I'm picking you. I'm sending you that, that, that love. And that, in essence, we can always do that for what we believe in and who we are. You know, and Shabbos is a part of who we are because we have neshamas that are we, you know, a part of Hashem. So we have we have to give that same kindness to ourselves and to Hashem and have that real relationship in Judaism. I think we've missed that a lot. I think it's a relationship. It's a constant ebb and flow of trying to understand, you know, where Hashem wants us in the world. What is our purpose in our life, and what meaning can I bring to the world? The world rather than just following robotically what we're supposed to do in life because that's the outer world wants to construct us to what you know their morals are and for thousands and thousands of years we've stayed true to who we are to what we believe in together as a people and as 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 an understanding of how good humanity is so it was just something that i learned in that moment that didn't even feel that tough afterwards, for sure. I'm a human being afterwards. It was gut wrenching to think about the opportunity I had, you know, and that we had, you know, um, but it was, it was just a moment of, wait a second. Oh, this is what it feels like to, to love myself and to love Hashem in, in, you know, in that, in that way. So I think we have to give ourselves a lot of love by understanding where Hashem wants us in the world. It's good stuff. Ellie, any last thoughts? I, I, I just am always blown that. away by, by Michael. <laughs> Michael, you always inspire me. Thank you for... <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable by this. <laughs> the, you know, these are really powerful life lessons that I think anyone could apply in their own pursuits. I think your your journey together has definitely impacted people around you, and I'm sure many listeners will find inspiration in your story. So I look forward to seeing what's next with you guys if you come to Israel and you want to run the Jerusalem Marathon, I signed up last year and I started running and I was going to do it and then I broke my toe. <laughs> so that was that. <laughs> I swear. I broke my toe. Well, what is this? We're not, run- 
We're it, not running on broken toes. It now? was Bashert. Exactly. Had you been here, I would have been running with a broken toe. Had my mother been here, I would have been running with a broken nah, toe. No, I play. I played that hard. That thing, but no, you have to respect your body and not do that. hundred percent. People right. are too quick to push through, and sometimes you I do bless it, you, know? you that your team should be able to run here in Yerushalayim, and everyone should be out of their wheelchairs, mm. running at their own pace, and. <laughs> Amir Tzashem, we should all have no suffering and your organization should just bring joy to people's lives in every way possible. Thanks, guys, for being here. Beautiful. And if you do go through suffering, get through it with a positive mind because suffering sometimes is the catalyst to uh, to, to growth. And that's what you're going to be talking... And that's what you're going to talk about with my mother the next time you see her because she loves that kind of conversation. That was, that's what the conversation Every was. runner knows that. Every <laughs> runner knows suffering and the high and It's just worth it. You will suffer through the pain so you can get to that satisfaction. And that's and, really such a good lesson for our lives. And if suffering becomes too much, and if the suffering becomes too much, lifeline it. Call call other people and, and get them involved to, to take off some of the suffering. Ali's taught me that and he's been incredible uh, value to me in, in this journey of loving people and being for them at all, for them at all costs. Good guys, thank you all so much, and um, yeah, to skill of mitzvahs. Thanks so much for the opportunity. My pleasure. Listen, I You're like lovely. talking to good people who do good things. I, I, I'm always up for the task, and and I knew this would have a nice vibe. So thanks for bringing wonderful messages into the world and having. We're these looking forward to hosting really you at pleasure. our next Take care, guys. So there you have it, episode 131 of the Weekly Squeeze. Don't forget to share this episode with a friend, drop it in a family WhatsApp chat, leave me a five-star review, and share your thoughts in the Weekly Squeeze WhatsApp chat. All the links are in my show notes. Order a bottle of Queen Tulsi for the queen in your life. Order a bottle of Shemin Ra'anan, and I'll see you on Thursday.